Quote some Dostoevsky to the DEA. It's time for Pod Cusack. Welcome to Pod Cusack, the only podcast dedicated to and explicitly for the thinking. Oh, fuck. I'm, you know, I wrote this earlier. I'm reading. We're live. There's no mistakes. You've got this, The thinking woman sex symbol, John Cusack. I'm your host, Matt Strickland, and I have decided to dedicate the rest of my life to a podcast dedicated to an actor that I feel a slight fondness for. With me is the host of Come At Me Show, wonderful comedian Tim Keck. Hey, Matt, how are we doing? I'm so excited to talk about my maybe top 50 favorite actor, John Cusack. Uh, I can't believe this is the only pod that talks about him. It's a real crime against humanity, but you were doing the Lord's work and you were getting it done and giving the people what they need. His IMDb is stacked. Uh, and at the top of that very stacked list, I say would say is Con Air. Oh, for sure. The movie we're talking about today. But first, let me introduce the other guest, returning champion, host of Young Persons Radio, Colby Smith. Hey, thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. Um, I finished watching this movie about 15 minutes ago, and I'm raring to go. It's maybe my favorite action movie of the 90s. But before we get into Con Air, Colby, we talked a little bit last week about your relationship to John Cusack. Tim, this is your first time on the show. Like, how big a fan? Are you a, like a super fan, a super duper fan? Like, what is your fandom level? I would say not a fan. Uh... <laughs> I would say actively dislike. <laughs> I don't dislike him. I think, he's, I think he's great. I'm always excited to see him. I can't say I seek him out ever. He is very medium. He's, mm-hmm. he's 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 perfectly medium in a way where I'm happy to see him and not disappointed if he's missing. Uh, I think he brings a certain level of mediumness to this film that otherwise lacked it. But uh, I love this movie. He's great in it. And I can't wait to talk about it. One thing I love about the first question of this podcast, Matt, is you say, how do you guys feel about John Cusack? And so far, both of my ex- uh, experiences have started with at least one person saying, Oh, gosh, how do I feel about John Cusack? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like the whole point of this podcast. It's it's an exploration yeah. into Cusackness. Yeah, I'm not a full-on member of the Sack Pack, but uh, I'm working up to it. Let's talk okay. about the Con Air. After serving the last of his sentence, Cameron Poe is taking the first plane home to his wife and daughter. Today's flight is a special one. We're populating Louisiana's Felton Penitentiary. These guys are the worst of the worst. I see a lot of celebrities among us. I see 11 primetime lives, three regions and Kathy Lee's, and a genuine 2020 interviewee. What you looking at, punk? Nothing, I was just my on your cage. But one wrong flight. Stewardess, what's the in-flight movie today? <laughs> can ruin your whole day. Welcome to Con Air. Jailbird One, you are not cleared for takeoff. And nobody on this aircraft gives a flying. The issue here is how the plane is brought down. Shoot it down. There are innocent people up there. He's got a little girl to come home to. He's been waiting for this day for eight years. What are you going to do? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to save the day. This summer, check your weapons. Take your seat. Isn't that your car? And say your prayers. We got the whole world in 
From Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer of The Rock, Nicholas Cage, John Cusack, John Malkovich. Where are they going to land this thing? How do you feel about the blackjack tables? On June 6th. <laughs> buckle up. Con Air. Directed by Simon West. Thank you, and have a pleasant flight. $101 million at the domestic box office. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, a scant 56%, which is bullshit. Because I like Rotten Tomatoes because it shows you the critics rating, and then it shows you the people's rating. And the critics gave it 56, but the people have spoken, and they gave it a 76. So that you know that this is... A beloved film. One of the segments we have on this show is called the Cusack number. The Cusack number of this film is two. That means there are two Cusacks. As we know, there are five Cusack siblings, John and Joan being the two most famous. There's also a Cusack father, Dick Cusack. But uh, the Cusack number of Con Air is two. John, of course. And then Bill Cusack shows up towards the end as a pa- one of the paramedics in the Las Vegas scene. Wow. So it's a two on the Cusack scale. And now I really want to talk about where this movie falls into sort of the history of action movies. You know, everyone talks about like the 80s action hero, right? It was like Sylvester Stallone. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger. These just like super beefcakes. Most people credit Die Hard with that shift to like more of an everyman. The John McClane's, they're skinnier. They look more like regular people. And then from the 20-year span, like 1988, Die Hard comes out. And then basically until Iron Man in 2008, that's like this window of of specific everyman action heroes uh, before like Iron Man comes out and then like all action movies become superhero movies. And I think it's interesting that both Nick Cage and John Cusack sort of started their careers as like in teen movies. Like Nick Cage was in Valley Girl he was mm-hmm. in Rumblefish. He's in a couple of these. He's a little bit older, I think, than Cusack. But he's in these teen movies in the early 80s. Then Cusack's in some of the John Hughes movies it's, and then Say Anything. And then they sort of move into these indie movies. And then by 1997, when this movie comes out, they have sort of both shifted into like everyman action heroes. Where do you guys think they fall in the action hero lineage? Did you think about either Cage or Cusack? When you think about action movies at all? I definitely don't think about Cusack. In fact, I did spend like more than one moment wondering if he was well cast in this. Uh, because like he definitely pulls off the like shit eating, like know-it-all guy who's like, you know, quoting Dostoevsky to the DEA. I think the Dostoevsky quote at the beginning that you can know all you need to know about a civilization by um, looking at its prisons. So I, I added that to the to the proceedings all of that stuff he's great in but there's a moment whenever they discover the plans in the jail cell to jack the plane mm-hmm. and he like slow motion runs out of the like down the hallway like right before the cell explodes and it was at that moment that i was just like i don't know <laughs> i don't know if goose could do it but i do think that they like used him well like in the big shootout at the end like he's not the guy like pulling a shotgun out of a case and like going to town. Like he's like using, he's using his brain to jack a bulldozer and then use that as cover for the guys who like are 
doing the shooting. So, like, I don't know. I'm conflicted about his role, like, what where he belongs in an action movie. But I think they do, like, a pretty good job of using him here. Here's a question for you. Uh, Paul Shear was talking to uh, Danny Trejo on his uh, podcast about Con Air, I guess. <laughs> I guess uh, Shear was, I'm paraphrasing, and they were asking him about... Uh, all the all the actors on Con Air and who was the real badasses were who were the who were the dudes were the who were the real badasses and he said man you don't want to fuck with Kuzak you're the guy people don't know this because there's people in Hollywood but everybody always asks me who would be the toughest guy you know what I mean yeah. you don't know some of the tough guys in Hollywood you know it's like like you you got to look at people's there's people that think they're tough but they just don't have that little thing in their eye you know that little thing in their eye john cusack has it okay i'm gonna tell you something people got people don't realize this you just look at him and you're just not sure you just think this guy would go kill the guy that dry cleans my clothes. You know, just has a little, little something. John, 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 God, yeah. he and he's bad. He can, he fight. He can. Uh, I love this movie. I did not once think of John Cusack as an action star while watching it. He is a non-threat for me. If if I walked into a room filled with hostile characters and John Cusack was in there, I would write him off as a non-threat. He is not intimidating anyway. I know you're talking about the everyman, and I understand what you're saying because you went from Stallone. Arnold Schwarzenegger, where these guys were huge and jacked. And they were like 80s huge and jacked. They weren't like The Rock huge and jacked. But they still made like the Mel Gibsons and the Bruce Willis's look just like a little normal. Or they're they're mm -hmm. slim. But Nick Cage is in a wife beater the whole time or an A-shirt, whatever you call it now. And he is ripped out of his mind. And he's doing all these weird pull-ups and push-ups. And he's flexing like a badass. And I, I, I'd love to get into eventually, like, who you actually think the protagonist of this movie is. But, yeah, Nick Cage is kicking butt the whole time in a way that I, I, I don't think Cusack is. I feel like Cusack is a spectator uh, in this film watching Nick Cage uh, do, uh, I would say, maybe unnecessary action sequences. <laughs> I find the, the pair of them so fascinating because, because, like I said, they're, they're sort of parallel careers of, you know up until this point and then even after they both sort of eventually descend into all of the same kind of movies. I feel like John Cusack for the last 15 years has been only doing like straight to video. Well, there's no video anymore, but you know what I mean? Like non-theatrically released. Right. Yeah. Like they movies. show up on, they show up on iTunes yeah. and you're just and like, Nick Oh, Cage this movie hasn't. Came out of... No, but I'm saying it's like Nick John Cage Cusack's only getting the script DVD. that the scripts that even Nick Cage has passed on, but they, they're, even their hairlines have been going back <laughs> in the same way. I don't know. I just find I find them such a pair in my brain. And maybe it's just because yeah. I saw them at a young age in this movie. But Well, I do think they are kind of weird mirror Im images of each other in the way that like their careers have kind of taken the same trajectory. But Nick Cage has this kind of like camp credibility that John Cusack doesn't quite like. Nick Cage, for being, like, an insane madman, does have a certain, like, fandom still, whether it's ironic or not, that I don't know if Cusack has. Not I don't yet. know. Until, not, yeah, yeah, once this yet. podcast gets off the ground. Cage is, Cage is also always more of a caricature yeah. than Cusack is. Yes. He's a little more sticky, and it's kind of what people love or hate about him. Yes. And Cusack can put put in like he's we're kind of talking about he's just kind of medium. He he puts in like a like a solid performance. 
I don't I didn't even really view these guys as equals in this movie. Let's just like get into the plot of Con Air because it is one of yes, it's an American treasure. The opening is like the Touchstone Pictures logo and then the Jerry Bruckheimer logo. And I wrote down awesome Hans Zimmer score, which I later looked up. It's not Hans Zimmer. <laughs> you, everyone thinks that this is a it's Michael instinct, Bay though. movie with a Hans Zimmer score. It's like shitty. It's Simon West who's like B-level Michael Bay and yeah. it's some other dude. Um, but it has Trevor the, Rabin, I think, is behind the score. It's like weird horns and like military drums and then like yeah. Powers Booth voiceover like fascistic dialogue yes. as, as we're seeing uh, Nick Cage graduate from the, the Army Ranger Academy. Yeah. And like just weird stock footage of like his soldiers <laughs> marching in a line. So after he graduates, he goes to meet his wife at a bar. His wife is played by Monica Potter, Z-list Julia Roberts, even doing like a fake Julia Roberts accent. And then Wayne Grove from Heat shows up. I don't I don't know what his plan is. What does he want? He just wants to he blames Nick Cage for losing Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, he says, you know, he says you're the reason we lost Vietnam. <laughs> Which is like, okay, so that character first of all admits that the US lost Vietnam. Which, which is progressive for like a weird truck bar. I feel like that that like type of dude, number one, would never say that, but like thinks like, well, we just kind of stopped fighting the war. We didn't lose. We just kind of went home. And also that dude respects our troops. <laughs> if that guy is in a real bar and a guy walks in in a uniform, he is going over and he's saluting him. And he's like talking about his own rifles as if like <laughs> they're the same person, like as if they're like equals. He's not like seeing that guy and being like, I'm going to fuck that guy up and take his wife. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's the kind of person at the end of it who's just like pulling Nick Cage aside and just being like, man, you know, we wouldn't be here without you. All this and just like gestures to the bar, <laughs> kind of stumbling like over himself. Like, none of this would be here without you, man. Like, this is all you. I just loved Nick Cage in this moment so much. And I was rooting for him so hard. And I saw his wife and you're like, she's nothing special, but she's the right kind of pretty where you're just <laughs> like, damn, Nick. Nick and her are going to be so happy together, man. And then they're like holding each other. And oh my God, she's pregnant. She's been, he's been away for a long time. So, I mean, there's questions there, but you just can see them raising their kid together. He's got his whole life in front of him. He served our country. This is a hero coming back. And now this guy's starting to rain in his parade. And the whole time I'm thinking like, just walk away, man. Just walk away. <laughs> yeah, Don't make Nick Cage do what he's going to do to you, dude. Basically, Nick Cage kills Wayne Grow. I'm defending his wife. He goes to jail. He is the worst man. lawyer of all time who just says, so, plead, plead So guilty. many questions already. We could do an yeah. hour on the first 10 minutes of this we movie. Really, I, I literally wrote that down, Tim. I was like, I was like, we could do a whole episode about the opening sequence which is like, we can't blow past this guy's line. The guy who like comes out from the bar to help and he like checks the guy's pulse and it just goes, he's dead, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys. I've taken a lot of first aid classes. I was an Eagle Scout. I was a lifeguard. The pulse on the neck is always tricky. I can't imagine <laughs> that a bartender just like working real late coming out in the pouring rain is going to put two fingers to this guy's neck for 10 seconds and be like, he didn't pronounce him dead at the scene. <laughs> he, he did it with such authority. He was like time eight Oh five. 
<laughs> I mean, this is a bartender. He's seen a lot of fights, you know. This is a this is a lot of death. This isn't a friggin' Dave and Buster's bar. This is like a this is a real bar, you know. There's there's been scraps. There's probably a, a scrap of some kind every night. This guy knows what guy he's doing. He know, he's got a Dave and Buster's. He he has this lawyer who tells him to plead guilty. Dumbest decision in the world. The judge says you have military training. You the, the same laws don't apply to yeah. you. <laughs> it's it's the lethal weapon clause. Guys, never plead guilty. Don't do it. There's never a re. If you didn't do it, don't plead guilty. Also, when have you ever seen a movie where you plead guilty and it works out? When never. you plead guilty, you're doing so to get a deal that has been offered to you. Like the prosecutor offers you a deal, plead guilty. This is what we'll give you. It's not please plead guilty and then let's hope we'll see what happens. Yeah. And then the judge will decide. He goes to jail. He goes to like some super max crazy prison. He's answering letters, writing his letter, learning Spanish, getting even more Jackson before. I mean, guys, I'll say it. I want to go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people think, uh, you know, COVID has made, uh, you know, all these like quarantines and like isolation stuff feel like prison, but not like that kind of prison. No oh, one's no. been me uh, pink marsh marshmallow like treats. Yeah, you're not giving snowballs to Bubba Gump. <laughs> to Baby O. <laughs> to Baby O. I also love that everyone in this movie has a nickname and they're all great other than Nick Cage, I guess. But <laughs> I also like uh, that. His introduction, his best friend introduction character, this character, his whole point in the movie will be to be dying of diabetes because he doesn't get his insulin. His introduction is Nick Cage giving him a fist-sized marshmallow. (laughs) (laughs) He loves him. He can't get enough. I keep feeding him. I mean, that's why he needs the insulin so bad. Did Nick Cage give him diabetes? That's the real question. <laughs> I mean, this might go to your theory that Nick Cage is actually one of the villains of the movie. Yeah, Nick Cage has uh, an inner demon in him that wants to see the suffering of all the people around him. So he sets this guy up to get diabetes and uh, and watch him suffer. Did Nick Cage do all of the lifts? We see him doing uh, handstand push-ups. We see him doing pull-ups. There are, uh, I, I went back and rewatched, there are pieces of his, there are parts of his body hanging off screen in all of these lifts. Did he do all the lifts or did he fake it? I mean, he's swole as fuck. So. Yeah, I can't fake that. I mean, he's not, I, dude <laughs> can do a pull up, I'm sure. I mean, I think, it, yeah. I mean, this is a year after The Rock with Sean Connery and him. So he's like, he's fully in action movie mode right now. Um, so I think he, I think he was probably, he was probably doing it. But after this yeah. sequence, we get introduced to, uh, our boy, his character, Marshall Arkin, John Cusack. The first thing we see in slow motion strolling towards us are Birkenstocks and yes. socks. It was such a crazy kind of whacked out cartoon, um, that I thought all these people on the plane are so eccentric and crazy. So I said, what can I do? So I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll play, I'll be the first non-biblical action star you know charlton heston did a lot of stuff like with no shirt and sandals but i've never seen a modern movie with a action star wearing sandals so i wore birkenstocks and that was sort of the extent of my thinking on that one once i had the sandals i think everything was came from there the whole movie john cusack is wearing socks in birkenstocks the end of the movie they show them again just what is it for He's wearing leather sandals the whole time. 
Why is this important? What does this tell us about his character? You know, he's an outsider, Tim. He's an outsider. He's a little more refined than your average, uh, you know, than the Colmeanies of the world. Yeah, Colmeanie. He's he's supposed to be like the liberal, you know, the liberal. Yeah, one of these sociology majors telling us we created these animals. (laughs) He's so edgy. <laughs> he calls he him a up. sociology major. Now, that, I mean, that is the funniest, <laughs> le- where he's just like, I know you fucking sociology majors. Yeah, he calls him dictionary boy. <laughs> John Cusack hey, uses one word. Boy? Yeah. yeah, what is this, dictionary boy over here? <laughs> he walks up in his sandals and socks, and then this guy is giving a speech, and he comes up behind him and does the like, like repeating the words like oh my god i know this and then they cut to a shot of a woman who's receiving this speech and she and it's like i feel like like, she was supposed to act like she could barely hold in a laugh she looks nonplussed with it like i think they just took random b-roll of her and just like dumped it in as much as i like did have my moments of doubt about like how much he belongs like doing action stuff the scene where he tells the other, like the DEA agents that they can't bring guns onto the flight, like that the inside man can't bring a gun onto the flight. I thought he like did kind of command respect in that scene. Like I believed that they would like begrudgingly listen to that guy. He has some of the best stuff though, because he gets to do the voiceover intros of all of these characters. You know, it's like the oh, Avengers yes. plane of of bad guys, and he it's like right More from of a the Suicide trailer. Squad. It's it's a great trope, and it's a sign of an awesome action movie when they do voiceovers to introduce like the team. That's William Bedford, aka Billy Bedlam. Mass murderer? The same. He caught his wife in bed with another man, left her alone, drove four towns over to his wife's family's house. Killed her parents, her brothers, her sisters, even her dog. Oh, and someone's like it. describing them and their special skills and their nickname and stuff. Yeah. It's like, I love it. I eat it up. I mean, we got Cyrus the Virus. Yeah. John <laughs> Diamond Malkovich. Dog. Yeah, Diamond <laughs> Dog, Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames, uh, in, in some of my research on this movie, did you know that Ving Rhames, his name is Irving Rhames, and his his nickname of Ving Rhames was given to him uh, in theater school by Stanley Tucci? Whoa! He's only called Ving Rhames because Stanley Tucci called, started calling him Ving. Oh man, Ving's great too. Ving's a great name. Also, Danny Trejo is is on mm-hmm. the plane playing a really loathsome uh, rapist. A tough look for Trejo, tough look. who like now is like on older and just takes all these like you know like brooding dad roles. You know, now he plays like bad guys with a heart of gold. And this is just a straight up rapist on this plane. This is a dark fucking movie in a way that movies just aren't dark anymore. It's not my favorite Trejo performance, but we do get a very good Dave Chappelle. Chappelle shows up as one of the other inmates. The casting in this is awesome. Even the guys I've never heard of before. Everyone is crushing it in this movie. They're all playing the worst people and they're dirtbagging it up and they're all having a great time just playing pieces of shit. I'll go to bat for Swamp Thing. I love Swamp Thing. I fucking love Swamp Thing. So all these dudes are on the plane. Chappelle lights the person sitting next to him on fire. A Native American on fire. Yes. He swallowed a little vial of gasoline and a... Like a condom of gas. And to keep the match dry. Mm -hmm. uh, And then dumps it on him and then lights the match. 
He drops it. Meanwhile, uh, Ving Rhames and uh, John Malkovich, who we have not mentioned yet. John uh, Malkovich crushes it in this movie. He's the so criminal good. mastermind. They give him so many insane lines, and he just nails every single one of them. He's like a, this movie does not work without John Malkovich. Oh yeah, absolutely not. He's the glue of this movie for sure. But they have hidden pins in their wrist, I guess, because they pull little metal rods out of their wrist and then pick the locks of their handcuffs that way. Right. Uh, and then Ving Rhames gets fucking tased for like fucking five straight minutes. <laughs> and then he stabs the guard in the neck with his handcuff. It's like with, with, the, with the handcuff part that clicks into the other part, he stabs yeah. that into the guy's throat. It's pretty yeah. gruesome. So basically all the, 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 the convicts are taking over the plane. But also on the plane, you got Nick Cage, who's just hitching a ride home. He's not, all these guys are going as a transfer to a supermax prison. Nick Cage is just using this as a way to get home to Alabama to see his wife and daughter. It's her birthday. We also, we gloss over what I, I would say is a beautiful hair shake by Nicolas Cage oh. getting off the bus before oh, he gets on yes. the plane. Slow mo. <laughs> they take over the plane, and then Cyrus gets to say the titular line. It yes. will not be the first time the the title of the movie is spoken <laughs> in the movie. But he gets to be, you know, welcome to Con Air, which you know, the applause. And it's all John Malkovich, out. I think. Yeah, uh, he's the only one who says it, but he says it multiple times. I will say there's something I don't like about him is he, he does get like pretty explicitly racist with. Dave Chappelle. There's a lot of very strange racial humor in the first like 40 minutes of this movie. Yeah, a very like 90s optimistic um uh like eh, we figured all that stuff out. We can joke about it now. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like ethos that pervades the thing. Um and if you are looking for problems, you could find them there. <laughs> this movie is 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 unassailable though, you know. You could say, I'm sure some dumb, dumb bum bum could say this movie is problematic for X, Y, Z reasons, but this movie is unassailable and it is canon in, in the same way that Finnegan's Wake and, uh, you know, Moby Dick are canon. And I will not hear any different. Um, but if basically, you loved Moby Dick, you're going to love Con <laughs> So the cons have the plane now. They're supposed to stop in Carson City. Some people get on the plane, some people get off the plane. So they need to, at least for show, make this stop so the, the authorities won't catch on that the, the convicts have taken over the plane. And this is where we get Buscemi coming in. It's an incredible entrance, and it really just made me think about uh, how fucking awesome Buscemi is. I mean, just like, he's a great actor, first of all, but like his roles in the 90s were like, he's doing movies like this, he's doing Fargo, like the year before this. And he's also in like every Adam Sandler movie that comes out in the 90s. <laughs> if that's not range, nothing is. He's the LeBron of the 90s. He really is. He can LeBron. pass. He can rebound. <laughs> he can run the floor. Meanwhile, as the cons are gathering on this plane and taking it over, John Cusack is trying to figure out what's going on. Cusack is is in the classic surrounded by idiots. Again, another beautiful trope. Yes. Where he's like the only one speaking reason and every single person he interacts with is an idiot. 
They're all dumb. They all do the dumb shit. They can't be left alone for two seconds without flying an hour in the wrong direction or getting themselves killed. He's starting to catch on that Nick Cage is on the plane and he might be a friend. He could have gotten off the plane in Carson City when they picked up Buscemi. He didn't. And he, they have his information. They know he's scheduled to be released. And uh, he has this great line where he's trying to convince the DEA agent and the other guy. Killed a guy. Could have happened to anyone, including any of us, including you or me. Which, I don't know if it could have happened to anyone. It's a bar fight. And bar fights happen and everybody does dumb shit. And I'm sure all of us have done something that could have gone way worse. I've been in, in a bar situation, fight. You know? And you killed that you... guy. <laughs> yeah. And we buried the body. And if that ever got out there, Matt. I admit to If that nothing. was ever presented to the masses and the evidence that I have in my room. But Cusack knows what's up. On, on Dave Chappelle's dead body, Nick Cage wrote him a little note. Right. So yeah, very cool he's move. saying we have to go to Lerner Air Force Base. And then all these people are now converging at uh, Lerner Airfield, where Cyrus has arranged to pick up a second plane with some Colombian drug lords or something. So their whole eventual plan is to go to Colombia, I assume. First, they all get to Lerner and they're, then they are all given jobs. Some of them are refilling. Some of them are Danny Trejo is going to be a lookout. And then uh, Steve Buscemi just wanders off and we get a great scene where he, there is a little girl who is like six sitting yeah. in an empty pool by herself in the middle of the desert next to this airfield. This, this like trailer park next to the Is it a trailer park? It just looks like yeah, a junkyard. It's a trailer park. She's At just... one point they like, they like pull out and it's like a trailer park. Okay. Uh, and he has this meaningful interaction with her. Yeah, they have some tea. And he gets the incredible line with where she goes, do you take medicine? And he goes, there's no medicine for what I have. <laughs> and he says it incredible. so like, he underplays so it so fact, perfectly. It's an incredible line. It's like, he just, it's a great read. Buscemi rocks. That was my big takeaway from this movie. Yeah, Buscemi fucking <laughs> steals the film. But, but the implication is that she rehabilitates him in that moment. It's in like the that moment. sweet interaction like makes him like like they recommits him to life or something well because you clearly think he's gonna kill her yes yes but he doesn't no I, okay my question is did this scene actually happen or was it all in buscemi's head i was wondering the same thing at That's one point really because because take. there is like a kind of like a weird it's the only like trippy visual <laughs> in a movie that's otherwise yeah. very straightforwardly shot is like there's this weird it's not a quite a fisheye but like the, the she's in the foreground and she's like set straight in the center and the background is like kind of swirling around her in this way uh and i couldn't tell if it was just like oh this is buscemi's epiphany to like not kill this girl <laughs> or is it like oh this is a hallucination i don't know the answer i because because my arguments are because we know he doesn't kill her because later in the movie, like at, when they take off, there's a shot of her like running away. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe that got added in later when somebody was like, oh, my God, you can't have him just like murder this girl. Yeah, <laughs> we can't see him meet a girl and then like not know that she's OK. That's like completely unacceptable. Especially or she's she's just a figment of his imagination, which is why he wasn't able to kill her because she is like an embodiment. Yeah, maybe of the, maybe she is an embodiment of the girl whose head he wore when he drove across all those states. If this movie had been made in the seventies, he would kill that girl. <laughs> but because Bill Clinton was president, we decided, no, we can't watch it. 
not on Bill's clock. <laughs> While this is all happening, Billy Bedlam and Nick Cage get into it beneath the plane because they go mm-hmm. down there and that's where all their personal effects are. Billy Bedlam is suspicious of Cage. He finds out Cage's personal effects and finds out that he's supposed to be released. So then Billy Bedlam knows that Cage isn't quite on the up and up. And and that's when Nick Cage stumbles upon him and they have this, that I mean, the most famous line in the movie because Billy Bedlam is holding Nicolas Cage's stuffed rabbit. We have to mention this rabbit because this is also a through line. It's the, he's trying to get back to his daughter because it's her birthday. And he has, I guess, saved up his money in prison to buy this tiny little stuffed animal that he's desperate to give his daughter. And Billy Bedlam has it. And that's when you get the cage really wants him to put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> and put the uh, bunny back in the box. <laughs> put the bunny back in the box. Put the bunny back in the box. <laughs> put down that bunny. Put the bunny back in the box. My favorite line of Nick Cage's happens not too far after this. Oh, when, I think I know what it is. Is it? So it's like when he has secured a a syringe to get his friend the shot of insulin that he needs. <laughs> I wrote this down too. And he's trying to run back. He has to run across the line of fire to get back to the plane to give it to him. And I I didn't get the quite. I didn't catch the wording exactly, but I think it is. Well, baby, oh, it's not exactly Yahtzee and my ties out here, but. <laughs> let's do this <laughs> he also says that to no one he just <laughs> says it to himself that's oh man that my favorite line in this movie is like right before that i think when he bumps into john cusack at like the other small plane mm-hmm. and he delivers the line there's only two people in this world oh, i trust man. One, one of them's me and the other one's <laughs> not you <laughs> And I was like, that's the most badass thing I've ever fucking heard in my life. Sorry, boss. But there's only two men I trust. One of them's me. The other's not you. Next time I go to Starbucks, I'm saying it to the guy. There's What's your name? Listen, man. One of them's Listen, me. Man. It's like, okay. Uh. <laughs> He's like, please, 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 please. Fingers crossed. He's like, oh my God. Who do you God, think I really the, hope the other one guy. is? Please make me the other guy. This then will go so end, smoothly if I'm the other guy he trusts. At the end, he goes, just so you know, there's now three people I trust. And I really wish that there was like an extended like sketch, basically, of John Cusack being like, is it me? (laughs) (laughs) Am I that guy? Cusack is going to deliver that line, too. It's actually uh, 1996 presidential Republican candidate Bob Dole. So, (laughs) yeah, it's me and Bob Dole. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he also has this wonderful interaction with an old man under a truck and this old man character is so out of place in this movie <laughs> the tone makes no goddamn sense at all he's like some dude they grabbed off the set and he's like how's it going old timer and he's just like well you don't have to pee and it's like what is oh, happening man, yeah. right now i feel like that was an, also here, an exec executive note they're just like we need like one more joke in this movie I don't know yeah. what if there's what if there's an old guy who has to pee. Perfect, throw him in. Also during this scene, it's not a Nick Cage line, but it is another one of the best lines in the movie. Is when the Colombian drug dealer has betrayed everyone. 
He, uh, he tries to fly away in his plane and leave all the convicts behind. The plane crashes because because <laughs> Nick Cage has outrun it somehow. He's out. He's not Nick Cage. John Cusack, because John Cusack is outrunning this plane and he sets up something to make the plane crash. And then the Colombian drug dealer stumbles out of the plane covered in gasoline and he's he's begging for forgiveness for betraying Cyrus the virus. And he's like, come on, come on, sigh. And then before he can finish, John Malkovich with flicks a cigarette and says, please, sigh, Anara. And it blows this guy up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that rocks. rocks. That's another Malkovich for the win. Yeah. Another one for our hero. Yeah. I saw, I found the line with the old timer guy under the truck is because Nicolas Cage is still looking for the needle. He's like, hey, man, do you see a needle? And he's like, man, you don't have to take that stru- stuff. Drugs will kill you, son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what a sweet, wonderful, like, clearly added in post scene. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really good. Oh, man. It's really So then the, movie, then the movie has, like, five climaxes. Yeah, there's a shootout. Yeah. And I have this, six. There's a shootout in the <laughs> boneyard. Shoot on the boneyard is like the real, the real, like big ending. I think. Right, and then because the the Colombian plane exploded, they have to get back on Con Air. Uh, and at some point in this scene, Malkovich says the title of the film a second time. And I yes. think it's uh, "Thank You for Flying Con Air." Basically, the the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie is the plane la- crash lands in Vegas. Um, Cyrus has threatened Nicolas Cage's family, so Nick Cage can't let him live. Somehow, they wind up on the top of a fire truck with Cusack on a motorcycle following shortly, closely behind. They get him. Yeah, they get him. They get him. They get those guys. They kill the bad guys. They get the and bad Buscemi guys. Gets Malkovich away at the end. is on the ladder on the top of the, the truck, and he, he goes through a glass overpass then falls onto some electrical wires, gets electrocuted, then falls into a construction site where a pile driver like smashes his face. Smashes his face. They like gave him it's the full great... Rasputin, like three separate yeah. deaths. Three deaths. Really good movie villain death. Um, followed, of course, by uh, Nick Cage reuniting with his family, meeting his daughter for the first time. Initially Giving... hesitant to receive the pink bunny. Yeah, the pink bunny that he found in the gutter covered in sewage. It's yeah, like it's a little dirty. He had to it's reach literally into the sewer like to grab flowing it. down yeah. the street in this this river of sewage, and he picks it up to give to her. What is the song that plays too? I love the song. How could I live, I live without you? you? Yeah. Oh man, this film is, was nominated for two Oscars, and that's one of them. How do I oh, live without wow. you? The final tag at the end of the movie is we cut to a craps table uh, where someone, you don't see the camera, like pans up to a, a heavy roller, a high roller you don't see, and then it pans up and it's uh, Buscemi drinking a, it's an Buscemi. umbrella drink. And that's Con Air. <laughs> that's Con Air, baby. Con Air. Fucking rules. Where does this rank in the, in the uh, pantheon of Las Vegas movies? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's number one on right above leaving Las Vegas in the pantheon of Nicolas Cage See, Las Vegas movies. It goes, <laughs> it goes Con Air, leaving Las Vegas, honeymoon in Vegas. 
in that order, I think. Yeah. Respect. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And then in just Vegas movies in general. <laughs> number one. Number it's one, near the top. Powers. Yeah, I don't, it's I don't... right under Bridesmaids, above uh, Hangover 2 for me. All right, let's move into some of uh, the segments. Segment number one, Cusack. Checked in, checked out, Nick Cage Cusack. This is when we, we figure out if Cusack is checked in or if he's checked out or if he, like in later movies like The Paperboy, he's gone full Nicolas Cage, crazy overacting, crazy camp, like nutso, you know, shamanistic, nouveau shamanistic stuff. I think he's definitely checked in in this. I think he gives a good performance. I think this is like solid, like, you know, is it him at his peak? It's like definitely not, but it's his peak era for sure. And like, he like, he clocks, he's, he's checked in. <laughs> I think he leads the way. Everyone in this movie is checked in. Everyone in this movie yeah. wants to be there. Everyone's having fun. They all know what it is. They're excited to all be together. I mean, it's a great cast, having a great time. They are all checked in. I 100% agree. Also, on this show, we talk about, is this one of the 10 movies that John Cusack is in that he actually likes? On the first episode, I mentioned it was there were seven movies, but I couldn't find the quote. I tracked down the quote. It's from a Ryan Gilby interview in The Guardian from 2017. John Cusack wastes no time in getting down to business. I've made 10 good films, says the 41-year-old actor shortly before striding into the Berlin hotel room in a backwards baseball cap and a sprawling in an armchair. I'm sure you know which ones they are. The ones that suck, I tend to blank out. It's like I never made them. But has he really made 40 movies that suck? He mulls it over. Well, there aren't 40 that are great, let's put it that way. He pauses for an eternity, eyes widening. But that's fine. 10 is a good batting average, don't you think? So he clearly doesn't have a lot of respect for his oeuvre. Conair comes up later in this interview and he says, At the time, Cusack claimed he did Conair because it had come time for him to be a businessman. You know, my name gets above the title, my face on a billboard, he told me in 1997. I use those kinds of films to get leverage. He says now, You wouldn't think Conair has anything to do with Max. But in my career, it does. It's doing con air or romantic comedies that makes Max possible. The bad stuff, you just try to make as good as you can. So it sounds like no. It sounds like it's not on his list of 10 great movies. That was devastating to hear. I get that it's kind of like a cash grab probably on his part, but it's it's nice to hear that he's like, and you make it as good as you can. Like It didn't feel like he was phoning it in. It didn't feel like he was cashing a check. And maybe that's, that just speaks to how good of an actor he is, you know? The whole time he's thinking about money, but really he's just crushing it on screen the whole time. Good for him. Good for us. This next segment is called Who Was He Dating and How Did It Influence His Performance? He's he's a serial wow. bachelor. He's dated lots of different women over the years. Now, this was filmed. It came out in 97. It was filmed July to September of 1996. He had met Minnie Driver on the set of Gross Point Blank earlier that year. And uh, he dated wow. her for a year. So he would be dating British actress Minnie Driver at this time. Mm. How do you think Minnie Driver affected his performance? You know, the people in your life, they affect your work, obviously. I think forehead-wise, there was a lot of influence going on in this one <laughs> from Minnie Driver. So you think she 
imbued foreheadedness into him. Yeah, in I some think way. it. I think I think dating Minnie Driver probably probably made his forehead bigger. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I I think she grounded him in a wonderful way that you can see on screen. <laughs> I think she was the rock he needed at that point. You know. He's a crazy bachelor, but I think she really supported him in a way that I don't think any other woman in his life has. Right. And uh, I think that really shines in his performance. He just has a lot of you can tell he he's he's loved. You can tell that he's loved in this, in yeah. this movie. Yeah, right. he's not going home lonely. OK, his character in the movie. I don't forget. I don't remember what his name is, is but he fucks. Yeah. Marcus Lark. He fucks. Yeah, you Larkin think he'd Larkin. be a little fucking limp dick piece of shit if he wasn't <laughs> boning down with Minnie Driver? Larkin is boning on the side, but Larkin, the character, is fucking. Maybe not consistently, but he has he has a girl who, like, he should be with, but he's not. But they, like, you know, but she won't commit to him. But he's getting laid on the regular, and I think he brings that to the character, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, yeah. Minnie, for, you know, doing what you could to make Con Air you, the perfection that it is. Thank you, Minnie. Um, Thank you, Minnie. This next segment is called Tales from the Trivia Page. Trivia facts from the IMDb user-added trivia section. So who knows how true any of this is. John Malkovich was unhappy during production because the script was being rewritten virtually every day and he had no idea how his character was going to turn out. That is an incredible fact. (laughs) Does Malkovich think he's in a different movie then? You know, what are the chances he's like... Thinks this is going to be a way more serious movie <laughs> than it is, and then he finally does a scene with Nick Cage, and he's like, "Oh fuck!" Thinking about the extent of the rewrites is funny to me. Like John Malkovich, like came onto set thinking he was like playing a college professor or something, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just like, "I don't know what's going on here. One day I'm a college professor, and the next I'm a murderer." God, I wish I could do a Malkovich accent. I know, I was doing it thinking like, this is just my voice. <laughs> this is no, just my voice. Essence, well, if I do a Colby though. impression, I get close. <laughs> What's, well, how does Malkovich talk? I don't know, he's got a weird... He, his delivery a lot of is emphasis always like very on stuff. Yeah, there's a ton of emphasis on stuff. There's um, a ton of evidence on things. That's but cool. I do love that fact, Matt. Welcome to Con Air. Great fact. That's not... That's not Malkovich. Uh, We got a bunch of spitters and shitters. Bag them and tag them. Spitters and shitters. Bag them and tag them. Spitters and shitters. We all have terrible Malkoviches. Colby's is okay. We're all just talking in our normal voice, but saying lines (laughs) for the movie. Spitters and shitters. Spitters and shitters. Bag them and tag them. Bag them and gag them. Rough crew. Spitters and shitters. Bag them and tag them, spitters and shitters. <laughs> That's your real voice. Yeah, Matt, I didn't want to say anything because I, but you've been doing this podcast voice the whole time. Yeah. I, and uh, I'm glad you let your real freak flag fly. Yeah. Why aren't you doing the podcast in your real voice? Why isn't that happening? I should. I'm just so, I'm much like Paris Hilton. I've just become my persona, you know? <laughs> the Paris Hilton of podcasting. God, the second she gets a podcast, we're all done. Fuck. There go you know all what? of our listeners. Yeah, yeah, it's it's real shame that the Pod Cusack audience overlaps with hers so <laughs> so perfectly. Uh, um, my audience halved when Hillary Clinton started hers. Yeah. <laughs> it just sucks that Pete Buttigieg is also starting a John Cusack podcast. 
<laughs> Can he leave Pod it to me? Pod Buttigieg. <laughs> Another fact, Nicolas Cage traveled to Alabama to perfect his accent. <laughs> Why couldn't you put the bunny back in the box? Oh, I love uh, that he did that. Yahtzee and my ties. Yahtzee and my ties. Well, baby my ties. <laughs> Yahtzee and my ties. But he, he, his voice is so tired in this, too. Put For, like, all the action sequences he's doing, he's sprinting, he's running, and I'm just like, well, this isn't Yahtzee and my ties. <laughs> <laughs> he does seem, like, a little slow in the movie. He seems dumb in this movie. Yeah. Can I ask an unrelated question? Yeah. How many men has Cameron Poe killed in his entire in his entire life we see two so you're saying before he only killed four people you mean in a line of duty like while I'm saying total Ranger? in his life by the end of the movie how many people has Cameron Poe killed like oh 10. hundreds <laughs> yeah millions he's like fucking Genghis Khan hundreds of people are dead by his hand he showed no emotion after both kills, which I think is like scary. It's terrifying that he showed he didn't cry. There's we see no like, what have I done? Oh my god, I'm I'm doing it again. There is just a practiced ease to the way with which he dispatches both of the guys. I mean, the guy in the under the belly and then the guy in the parking lot. He must have. He's got to be in the teens before this movie starts. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does the, that line from Monica Potter in the in the beginning. It was just like, I, I didn't want to see that guy come back. I mean, I think that says it all. He is a sociopath. The Joker to John Malkovich's Batman, so to speak. Let's do the segment I like to call Swan Cusack. Here at Pod Cusack, we treat every John Cusack film as if it is a Black Swan event. Black Swan event is something completely unforeseeable that forever alters the course of history. Mm-hmm. Colby, why so, do you think this is a black swan? Should we event? all say it on the count of should, three? I was just going to say, should we all say it at the same time? Because I think <laughs> yeah. we probably have the same answer for this. Yeah, let's all say it yeah. on the same time. Ready? One, one, one two, 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 three, three, three nine, nine, eleven. Nine, eleven, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh. Planes flying into shit. I know it's Las Vegas, but come on. So you Just think- the hijacking sequence alone is enough to be like, oh. Well, I got to tell you that, that that tracks with the box office of Con Air in Saudi Arabia. Whoa. <laughs> we did it to ourselves. It was an inside job, but we were wrong about the Bush part. Yeah, it it's weird cage. that Halliburton was a big funder of this movie. Yeah, yeah. right. They dropped, they dropped crates of guns and VHS copies of Con Air. Mm-hmm. You know, I we mean, it's, it's been done before. The CIA has, you know, created fake movies, as we saw in the Ben Affleck film Argo. The CIA, you know, is rumored to be responsible for writing the Scorpions song, The Winds of Change. I don't see why it wouldn't be possible that the CIA would be responsible for the filming of action classic Con Air. I mean, look, I'm sick of dancing around this. The CIA has done some really cool stuff. (laughs) (laughs) They do cool shit. 1954 Guatemalan coups and Con Air. That's really cool. (laughs) 
Um, all right, let's just uh, finish up with the very last segment. It's called Things I Like, Things I Hate, Things are That Are Weird. Uh, Colby, you got to go. So give me, give me one thing you like about this movie. Uh, things I like cast incredible like so excited to see so many faces uh everybody is going for it everybody's locked in and uh cusack is fun as always uh things i hate um pet peeve of mine like i don't think we needed the fire engine chase uh i pet peeve of mine for action movies is like whenever like the big uh climax has happened and then we get like a second one like the james bond movies do this a lot where it's just like the last in almost all of them, you don't need the final action sequence. <laughs> like most of the thing has been wrapped up by then. Um, things I think are weird. Uh, Vietnam guy at the beginning for sure. Things I like. I gotta agree. The cast I like a lot. I like the idea of them all uh, being on the plane. It's like a weird, uh, like a, what do they call it? Like a bottle episode. But they're all just. <laughs> It's like a bottle episode movie. They're just all on the plane. It's so simple. And I love that everyone in there has like a want, you mm -hmm. know, everyone in there has a motivation. Everyone has clear motivations. You know what every character wants at every given point in the movie. You know why everyone is doing. I mean, this is like basic stuff, but it makes these action movies so fun. The best premises are like taken. John, uh, you, you're, you have revenge or you want to get somebody back or you're fighting for your freedom, you know? Like, or you're fighting for your job, or you're fighting for your career. Every character in this movie is fighting for something, and it's just great. It just makes the movie awesome. Uh, something I don't like about the movie. Um, I agree. The the fire truck thing, I was kind of like, ugh, this is... The... And it's not memorable. There's nothing... You'd yeah. think the fire truck thing would be memorable. Uh, it's not. There's this moment where where Cage and Cusack get on the same... Get on motorcycles next to each other, and then have a <laughs> nod of, like, begrudging respect. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, do this. And it just seemed kind of weird afterwards. I was like, Cusack's going to get on this. What's Cusack going to do to stump <laughs> the bad guys? He can't keep up with Nick Cage. Look at how jacked Cage is, you know? It paled in comparison to the moments of begrudging, like, hero-villain respect between Malkovich and Cage mm -hmm. uh, that kind of happened throughout the movie. What did I? What else did I not like? I feel like I had something for this. I mean, it's just, it's just a great movie, man. You just turn it on, and it's fun. Uh it's a good time. Weird. I mean, the guy under the truck's weird. There's random things that are just weird about this. <laughs> this any just, guy that... under any truck is probably weird. I'll got to say this. I love... I, I agree with you that I do not like the fire truck ending, but I do love Cyrus's death. Yeah. I love how gratuitous it is. It's so good. If I could give it a rewrite, it would be maybe them fighting to the death in the belly of this like crashed plane as it collapses or like burns around them, mm. you know? Like that's the kind of intensity that we deserve from this. And it's got the level of corniness. It feels like, a, I don't know, I always go back to like Lethal Weapon or whatever, where they're just fighting on the on like the front lawn and mm -hmm. like everyone's just watching them. It's just happening. It feels like a quintessential action movie ending to me where it's like kind of a superfluous fight at the end, you know? Mm -hmm. But that would be like grittier and more intense than this fire truck, which is like, I don't know. They just wanted Swamp Thing to drive something else. Uh -huh. I do think they, they didn't need another vehicle. Just keep it on the plane. Yeah, There's agreed. a lot of stuff that happens off yeah. the plane. There's a whole shootout in the boneyard. Just keep it on the plane. The plane is, <sighs> the is great. great. Everything too, on the plane is top notch. One thing I didn't yeah. like was Trejo's whole character. Love Trejo. He's a hero. 
Don't like his character. Don't like his vibe. Don't need it in the movie. It's superfluous. Don't need Rachel Ticketon in this movie as much as I love her. Uh, but, and then one thing I think is weird is, uh, I think it's weird that they never made any sequels. This movie's perfect. Make some sequels. It's crazy they didn't make any sequels. This movie's ripe for sequels. Yeah. You Put him on a bus, Connie, or two, run it back character. with a new cast. Yeah, next time take the bus, and then they do it, and it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> Woodwatch. <laughs> Netflix, Woodwatch. Con Cruise. <laughs> we get on a boat. We have to commandeer this cruise ship and move all these prisoners. HMS Con. <laughs> um, all right, Tim, where can we find more of your stuff on the internet? Oh, man. Well, you can follow me on social at Tim Keck Forever and uh, listen to my podcast at Come At Me Show. It's great. It's me ranting. Sometimes I talk to guests. Sometimes I review political events. It's a real shit show, but it's fun. And if you like me, you'll like it. If you don't like me, then I would recommend downloading something else. <laughs> I can't recommend Come At Me Show. Hire. It's wonderful. Colby, wow. where can we Thank find you. you on the Internet? Uh, I host the show Young Persons Radio on Sunday mornings on Radio Free Brooklyn, uh, which then comes out as a podcast the following day. You can get that uh, anywhere you find your podcast. Also, could not <laughs> hype that podcast more. All right, that's Bod Cusack. Goodbye. Bye. Uh. Uh. Dear God, <laughs> thank you so much for bringing John Cusack into our lives. The wind beneath the wings of our con plane. Johnny Cusack is